to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Cheryl McGee Wallace, Special Advisor to I Relaunch, and your host for today. As part of our series on the nuts and bolts of the recruiting process, we're gleaning practical advice for relaunchers from a range of experienced recruiters from companies with and without return to work programs. Today, we welcome Miranda Kalinowski, head of global recruiting for Facebook. We'll discuss Facebook's 16-week return to work program in more detail in a moment. We at iRelaunch have long looked forward to speaking with Miranda, who has more than 30 years of recruiting experience in the U.S. and abroad. For nearly seven years, Miranda has led the global recruiting team at Facebook, helping it to grow from 6,000 employees to more than 56,000 today. Hi, Miranda. Welcome to 321iRelaunch. Hi, Cheryl. Great to be here. I can only imagine how busy you must be, so thank you very much for taking time to join us. Before we begin, can you briefly tell us a little bit more about your background and experience as a recruiter? Absolutely. Well, you touched on a little bit of it in the intro, but, um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I'm a mother of now two young adults. I don't know where that time went to. Um, I've got a 22 and a 19-year-old. I'm from Australia. You might have been able to tell, pick up the accent you know, on a personal note, I was born to a single mum who herself was a recruiter. So I'm one of those very rare beasts who join recruiting uh, intentionally. I've been, as you mentioned, doing it now since I was 21. So f- for 30 years at this point, I have been absolutely delighted with being part of people's career choices and helping them make the match. That's great. So let's dig into some of our interview questions here. Facebook has a return to work program, which I understand is expanding. Could you tell us more about it? Absolutely. So we have had a return to work program now for for a couple of years. Um, The program goes for over the course of 16 weeks. We typically have at least two cohorts every year, one in the spring uh, in the U.S., Um, and another one in the fall. And over this 16-week period, members will join teams where they have both impact and an opportunity to build their technical and program management skills. Uh, And they get the help and support from managers and mentors and peers. So, you know, I think one thing to know about this 16-week program is that at the end of it, uh, for those who are able to uh, demonstrate their abilities, um, they get uh, an opportunity to be considered for full-time positions at the end of it. That's really great. I know these uh, return-to-work programs are absolutely amazing opportunities for relaunchers. Uh, The program offers technical and non-technical roles. Mm -hmm. What are the most sought-after skills? Right. So for our return-to-work program, this specific program, and we have a number of pathway programs um, into Facebook, but I'll focus on the return to work one here. Uh, We've hired across different roles for our tech teams mainly, so technical program management, data science, operations program management, and capacity engineering are just a few to mention. I think of those, the most sought after from a demand perspective at Facebook right now at least is our technical program manager roles. So you know, for those, we look for people 
who do have, even if it's uh, dated, they have experience, some level of experience, three plus years of experience in engineering or technical program management in their in their past. And for the return to work program, we are targeting folks who have been out of the workforce, the paid workforce for two plus years. Okay, great. And where are the positions located? Are they in California, across the U.S., abroad? Mm-hmm. So uh, all of all of the above. We've we started when we started this in 2018. We only had it in our head office headquarters in Menlo Park, California. But because it's been so successful, Cheryl, we've expanded it. We, we now have openings in. Uh, not only Menlo Park, but Seattle and Boston in in um, in the US, and we are actually launching for the first time our program in Europe, and and we've got openings in Ireland, Dublin, Ireland, and they're actually open now. If you if you go to our career site, so would it be the same uh, application process mm-hmm. if relaunchers were looking abroad? Is there one uh, location? where they would submit their application or do they go to each one of those locations? It's uh, if, if you go to our career site, uh, facebook.com forward slash careers, you, and you, you literally just type in return to work, all of the offerings, whether it's in the US or, or Dublin will, will appear and then you can walk through a fairly intuitive process to apply. And what are the eligibility requirements? You mentioned a, a two-year break. What else would there be? What else should relaunchers be thinking about? Well, the first thing is because it's a 16-week program, you do need to be available for those consecutive 16 weeks. So availability is, is sort of one of those sort of what I'd call hygiene factors. Um, as you mentioned, they've left the workforce for two years or longer and are looking to re-enter full-time uh, albeit that it'd be starting with that 16 week stint. We typically look for, for candidates who have at least four to five years of previous relevant work experience, even if it's dated, so that we can help okay. to bring that up back up to recent capability. So for the, each of the positions, cause they're slightly different, whether it's the technical program manager or data scientist, for instance, or operations, they'll have their own requirements listed at the bottom of the job description. Yes. And so you should look to that to, to show you, you know, what that, what the strengths would need to call for those particular positions. And how big is the cohort? So we, we've seen this grow like 3x since 2018. It's now in the hundreds across, across the world. So it's material for us and we're finding it incredibly successful and that's why it continues to expand. That's wonderful. What are your, roughly speaking, what are your retention rates? They've been high. You know, we, we certainly see um, great conversion into full-time positions, which is why we continue to, to use it as a really valuable source for us. Great. And another question I had was, how long has Facebook been offering the program? How many years? We started it in 2018. So it's still pretty uh, embryonic, but it continues to get better and better as more hiring managers across Facebook really see the value in it, and so too do the participants. When I advise relaunchers, I explain that much of the advice they receive during this period will stand them in good stead throughout their careers. So as we launch into our discussion, it's important to emphasize that much of this information is not necessarily specific to relaunchers. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Now, with that in mind, let's dive into the details of the recruiting process. Facebook is reputed to have idiosyncratic hiring process. 
how would you say Facebook's recruiting process differs from the typical firm? Generally speaking, regardless of role, what are you looking for? And specifically, what are builders? Absolutely. Well, Cheryl, there's a lot in that question. Um, so in terms of the uh, idiosyncrasies of the hiring process, you know, we do use interviews that help to set a realistic job preview, you know, and assess candidates against the expectations of those positions, which is pretty, pretty standard actually across the tech, the tech sector and, and, and frankly, many other firms. Um, or companies. So I think that in terms of what we're looking for, regardless of role, we, we really are looking for people who believe in our mission. So, and, and this is the same for many other companies. They want to know that you're invested in the mission and where the, the direction the company is headed in. Facebook's mission is to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. So we're looking for people who um, can speak to the value of that and, and whether or not it resonates with them. When you mentioned builders, you know, at first when I heard that term, when I started, I was thinking, well, that's not me. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't yeah. characterize myself as a builder. But regardless really of whether you're hiring an engineer or a finance analyst or even a recruiting lead, uh, we look for people who like building and it could be building a process or building a team it could be building morale. Uh, yes. And, yes. And so it's people that, you know, don't, aren't satisfied with the status quo. They love creating exactly. new things and figuring out how to continuously improve and problem solve. So that's what we mean when we say builders. So that would be highly proactive, relatively assertive people, like you said, who are not happy with the status quo. That's a great um, uh, framing for, for um, hiring. Recruiters have a reputation for being gatekeepers of a company. In fact, one of our most frequently asked questions deals with getting the recruiter's attention. What advice do you have for relaunchers seeking a role with your firm or indeed any firm? Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, and I absolutely understand where this question is coming from. I'm going to answer it, obviously, as a recruiter. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think this perspective is wi widely held, you know, the, the, the black hole and, and so on. I, I think if you think about it, effective recruiters are gold with matching qualified candidates to open positions and assessing them for, you know, future placement or consideration. So many recruiters obviously are dealing with very high volumes of applications, and that's very true today, obviously, given all of the implications coming out of the pandemic. So if a candidate is able to sort of amplify how their skills and strengths align to those, the position for which they're applying calls for, this makes the recruiter role easier. It's much tougher for a recruiter to help a candidate if that candidate isn't crisp about their skills and their strengths and what they want to do. And if they haven't done any research into the various functions or teams within the company. And of course, much of this information now is so transparent and publicly available yes. that there's, you know, there's really no um, reason you can't as a candidate uh, do that research. So, you know, I, I do, I recommend, particularly for relaunches, but as you said before, for everyone, start by knowing what your skills are and what your strengths are. And when I say strengths, I mean those things that when you're doing them, you're really losing track of time because you're yes. so absorbed into them. And think about what those primary and sort of secondary skills are. 
you know, getting a resume that claims that someone has, is all things to all people is just yeah. unrealistic and unwieldy yeah. to manage in terms of matching uh, to opportunities, you know, if you're a recruiter. So do narrow it down to those sort of primary and secondary things. That's the first one, knowing your skills and strengths. The second one would be thoroughly research the, the company you're targeting and the teams and the roles you're applying for so that you can do as much of that mapping to job requirements as, as you possibly can, you know, with obviously without being being in this role. So your approach to a recruiter might be something like, you know, I see in this role, X is important. Here is where I've experienced or skills in that. Um, or here's, you know, my passion about, you know, uh, building those if I don't have them. That's great. And one question along those similar lines is we know the statistics that women usually only apply for a job if they meet upwards of 90% of the requirements, mm. but men may apply for roles even if they meet less than half. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend someone calibrate that balance between saying, I have some of the skills and the potential versus something that's just too far off base? Mm. Look, I think this comes down to, to confidence, but also interpretation of what you've done, you know, the skills you've amassed, where you've gotten that experience. It's not as literal as you'd expect insofar as you, if you've been out of the workforce some, for some period of time, many times the activities you've been doing are able to build skills, build networks, relationships, and strengths that are of value to employers. So it's taking a, a broader view of the experience that you've amassed and translating that into what the position is is asking for. So being able to communicate that is the most important thing. I, look, I wouldn't say you have to have nine out of 10 or five out of 10. It's just a matter of how you're interpreting what you've done and, and the needs of the position and, and able to communicate it. Great, thank you for clarifying that. What kinds of resumes do you like to see ideally? Any specific length or format? Look, I think typically we'd encourage candidates to have a resume of not more than two to three pages and do, as I mentioned, recommend, you know, we do recommend that you highlight those core skills and the impact, importantly, the impact that you've made over the more recent past, whether that's from paid or unpaid work in in the workplace or in the community, it's still incredibly important. So two to three pages. As I mentioned before, if you're listing, you know, I'm, I'm all of these things, it's important just to highlight a, a couple uh, that you consider to be your your biggest strengths or areas that you really want to spend the most of your time doing and focus. Focus rather than trying to be a generalist, I think would be a um, a bit of advice I'd have. That's really great advice. One of the things that we encourage of relaunchers is to make sure that they're focused on the role that they want, the type of opportunity, and doing that skills mapping that you discussed earlier, because some are very eager to identify and secure that first role that they may say something to the effect of, I'm willing to do anything. And that doesn't help them, and it definitely doesn't help the recruiter. No, that's exactly right. Um, and I would just add to that, Cheryl, that, you know, when you're listing specific skills or technical competencies on your resume, make sure you've got a deep enough understanding of 
uh, so that if an interviewer probes you on the topic, you feel comfortable talking about it. Yes, I think that's very important to highlight. Um, what are recruiters seeking in initial screening interviews? How can applicants, relaunchers in particular, prepare for screening calls? From an initial screening interview, it's trying to get an understanding of, of the background of the individual, where they've spent their time, what are those things that they'd call their strengths. We do look for technical skills in most of our roles, but it's also very important for us to bring in people who believe in our mission. So we're asking about why Facebook, why now, really trying to understand the shared values that we have. You know, are people enthusiastic about the program? If so, what is their motivation for being enthusiastic about it? You know, are they proactive and ambitious? Are they eager to learn and develop or reactivate skills? Mm -hmm. So really getting to the heart of that motivation and some of the, the softer skills. You know, in terms of preparing for those screening calls, really trying to understand the role's qualifications and to discuss, and your recruiter can actually play a role in this, to discuss with them the expectations going into that interview. What can you expect and, and how can you be best prepared? You know, the recruiter, again, is motivated to make a successful match and so they are going to be available to you as an advisor it's not, we don't have trick questions or, you know, how many manhole covers in North America or New York. Yeah. Or, um, they're, they're, they're bias traps. Recruiters are there to help you be prepared and, and, uh, it's going to take practice and sometimes talking to yourself in front of a mirror to, yes. to really build that confidence so that you can have a fairly natural, you know, and, and two way conversation with the interviewer when it happens. That's really great. I've also heard the uh, screening calls as an opportunity to identify deal breakers, willingness to re relocate, although there are legalities about asking uh, past salary history, there's nothing that prevents an employer from asking salary range. Would you say those are the types of things being brought up in the screening interview? We don't tend to talk about comp in the in the screening interview because we're trying to generally understand what you know the the person is looking for and where we can make the match and that's way too narrow a view to take in the first conversation. Um, but I mean, I, I'm sure there are some de deal breakers if a particular position is in a location that the candidate is not willing to relocate to. It can be a deal breaker for that particular position, but. Our recruiters are taking a longer term view than just that one immediate posting that they're, that they're evaluating for and how can we develop a relationship that if not now, then maybe in the future, uh, we can make, make that match. And just another question in this area to drill down a little bit deeper. The screening calls are generally from recruiting or will those be also from the hiring manager or the target the team um, that the applicant is targeting. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get to the, the extent to which a screening call is substantive. Yes. So there are, there's like a pre-screen that the recruiter does. This is, uh, I'm just talking about Facebook's practice where the recruiter and the, the candidate are connecting. And that is a more of a general conversation like the one I've just described. Then there is the, the technical screen or the first screening interview done with the hiring team or a representative for that hiring team. And that's more technical in nature, depending on the position. And so it's at that, Te technical phone screen. It, these are 
everything's virtual right now. Um, yes. but, but even when we're in office, these te- these first technical screens are virtual in nature, and they're they're done by someone who is who does the job that we're actually recruiting for. So they're the closest to it, and they're able to guide that interview and accurately and consistently evaluate. Facebook is known for its interview questions. Could you give us an example and explain what you're seeking with such questions? Sure. So, you know, I think that pretty much in most teams that you're joining, we're interested in hearing examples of where you've overcome a challenging problem, whether it's technical or something that that maybe even wasn't work-related. And as we're talking through that, uh, we're looking or we're here listening for experience where you've encountered complex problems or you've identified them yourselves and you're talking us through the steps that you took to solve it, assuming you did solve it. Um, yeah. So, you know, we are using the premise that your past p- sort of performance um, will predict your future behavior. So understanding a specific example is important. What, you know, what was the situation? What did you do what did you think what did you say what did you feel really getting into a level of granularity in those in those discussions so that it's like you're taking me back to that moment in time and walking me through it and you know when I say challenging problem we're not rating well you're saying that's challenging I don't think that's challenging therefore <laughs> yeah. therefore that's a no, <laughs> that's a, 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 a black mark against you it, it is more around doesn't matter what the problem is, what is the approach you're taking to working through that? Great. That's a wonderful uh, example. Can you give us examples of how relaunchers answered questions you or your recruiters asked that were viewed as good or even great answers? Uh, sure. I mean, I think that, uh, there are, there are just so many. So to, to isolate just a couple is a bit tricky. Let me think. I think. And this is particularly true now. Answers that demonstrate resilience, that demonstrate, you know, a learning agility and an ability to navigate new workspace or environments, maybe working within large teams um, or working within teams. These are really important skills and abilities to be able to demonstrate again it doesn't really matter the context within which you're talking about that but but that you know those those are really necessary to translate into pretty much any of our teams that that are hiring right now many relaunchers are hesitant to ask their own vetting questions during an interview what questions should a relauncher ask in the interview to help determine appropriate fit for the firm and a specific role yeah, this is absolutely important. It's it's definitely a two-way street. Um, so beyond, obviously, questions that will help you familiarise yourself with what the role is and the responsibilities, um, I think really think about what are those things that are important to you of the workplace you're wanting to join, the culture of the organisation, what support are you going to get and from whom, what are going to be the learning and growth opportunities of the program, what will success and impact look like in this role, how is your performance going to be measured, those sorts of those sorts of things. And, of course, you know, you might want to get an example of something specific, like a problem that that team's working to solve right now, or some example of for this particular team that I'm joining, you know, what's the vision for that team and the and the role? Where's where's it going to? 
um, so that you can picture yourself being a part of that or not or not yes. <laughs> you, know, you know so it is is definitely a two-way street those sorts of questions I think are helpful Great. And before we move on, there's just one other question I wanted to ask you. Now interviews are going to be virtual. A screening Mm -hmm. call is more likely going to be a screening video chat, not just a phone call. Do you think that has made a difference in the interviewing process, being able to see the other person versus uh, speaking to them on the phone or actually going into the office and speaking one-to-one in the flesh, as it were? Mm -hmm. Um, it's an interesting question and I do wonder whether it's a point in time while we're, most of us are working from home now or if it will sort of live on beyond when uh, you know people return to the office. I think what I'm seeing is that you know there's there's this deep empathy for each other even if you're strangers you know at any point you know that someone can walk in behind you and start you know pulling your hair or tugging on yeah. your you know pet, pets and children and so on. And so there's this empathy that it's almost in the past that would have been unacceptable. We all remember that BBC interviewer who was, do you remember that in, in yes. APAC? And it just, <laughs> you know, it went viral because it was just so. But now it's that's real life. That's real life. It's happening sort of every meeting I have. So I think there's that empathy and that's great. Um, I think people are getting used to where in the past they might have said, look, let's meet face to face. It's going to be much easier for us to make that connection. Now we have to make this work, you know. Exactly. And I think that the technologies that are being developed, uh, it's, it's taking it from making it work to making it awesome. And it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that plays out. Yes. I find that in my video chats, I am more likely to ask a person, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And actually really mean it. And it becomes a longer part of the conversation because everyone is going through the same thing almost globally. Well, practically globally at this point. Yeah. So I do agree with you that it does establish somewhat of a more human connection. Definitely. And, and you know, it's it, you'd probably get to that point um, in the past, but I think we get there quicker now. Yes. I asked relaunchers what they'd ask a recruiter off the record. Most of the questions dealt with negotiations and the fear of, quote, leaving money on the table. Generally speaking, how would you advise candidates to approach salary negotiations? Hmm. Look, I, yeah, I know there's a lot of sort of anxiety caught up in this. At Facebook, we're, we're very lucky because we've got very formulaic approach to compensation settings. So for the return to work program, for instance, that I mentioned, we offer the same comp to all returners in line with their, the role they're applying for and what job family that's in and what location. So it's quite, it's very formulaic. And it, and so, uh, there's not, frankly, much negotiability in that because we're we're bringing everyone on to this this same rate to begin with. Um, the comp's competitive, obviously, and we've designed the program, you know, in a way that's that's fairly compensating everyone who's joining the return to work program, and and that it's in line with their teammates and peers. So that was important. But you know, I would I would generally say in 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 terms of how to approach salary negotiations, timing is important. You know, if the first thing that you're saying to the representative of that company, whether it's the recruiter that you're speaking to or a hiring manager, is about comp. Um, personally, as a recruiter, I would I would question the motivation, the genuine motivation um, behind someone 
yes, that's a hygiene factor that needs to be satisfied, but I would keep that conversation to a bit later in the process. Okay, great. That's good to know. The next few questions are really very specific to relaunchers. The first one is probably one of the most important issues that relaunchers are dealing with. How do you think relaunchers should address their career break on their resume and in the interview? Well, first of all, I I just think this, you know, you shouldn't be wearing this career break as a heavy backpack. It should be worn as a badge of honor and, and, and flipping the sort of script on yourself on that. Um, and it will sort of your confidence around this will build over time with sort of more practice in interviews, uh, getting back into it again. But be honest and clear. You know, our return to work program is actually meant for people who have taken two or more years of break in their career. So we're expecting that to be in there. Exactly. Um, so, you know, certainly no apologies for being out. Um, and uh, But do think about opportunities that you've had while you've been out and, and how that could possibly translate back into a paid work setting and be able to communicate that. Great. Some relaunchers struggle with determining the appropriate staff level. Too high and they're not positioned for success. Too low and they're insufficiently challenged. What's your advice? Um, Look, I I think the first thing to do is read the job description. All companies put sort of basic requirements in their um, job descriptions and it's like, uh, how many years of experience, four plus years, five plus years experience, for instance, and it gives you an idea of whether the role is at the right level for you or, or not. So at times when you're making a career transition, you, you may not have the relevant experience, relevant current experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's why return to work programs and, and things like this can help you get back up, get that currency back up. But you know, I think that I think that otherwise it's a conversation. This is what recruiters are there to help guide you through, and every company and role and frankly team can can approach this quite differently. Uh, depending on the source, the average age at Facebook ranges somewhere between twenty seven to thirty years old. What advice would you give someone beyond that age range, in some cases well beyond that age range? who might be interested in a role at Facebook? I, I do think perception uh, lags reality on this. I, I, I know that when I um, was considering Facebook uh, nearly seven years ago now, I was 45 at the time. I'm now now just over 51. And I was concerned about this. But And I don't actually know the average age of employees. That's not a data point that I, I have um, access to. But... I absolutely see, as I look across the organisation, um, you know, we we have got such a wealth of experience and industries that we recruit from, you know, locations and skills, and, and obviously we, we, we don't differentiate candidates based on age or gender or ethnicity or any other protected characteristics. That's illegal to do that. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we... We work together in teams, um, drawing from those experiences, life experience and other work experience, and together that cognitive diversity makes us better. Um, we, we need it. So I don't even think about that for a second. I'm 51 and I run the recruiting team. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's really great. One more question um, before we move on. Say, for example, that a relauncher applies outside the time frame for the relaunch program. 
would Facebook consider relauncher applications for other job postings? Oh, sure. Yes. I mean, anyone, we, well, we've got this return to work program and that's sort of two ho- about two cohorts a year, so spring and fall, and then we've got the one that's live now for, for Dublin. At any point, relaunchers can look on our career site and apply for any position for which they think they um, have skills, even if they're not more recent they can obviously still apply and and be considered for those. We've also got, I mentioned earlier, other pathway programs. We've got a rotational engineering program um, and that that hires sort of all year round. Um, You can look at the career side and and see what the requirements for that are, but that that is intended for people. Sometimes that's for people doing a career transition or those that are relaunching uh, can also be considered for those, but absolutely. Great. So let's talk a little bit about Facebook's culture. Could you describe the culture of Facebook and give an example of what a new employee would be surprised to learn on arrival? Hmm. Um, so uh, very mission-driven, uh, as I've mentioned, and everyone shares in the appreciation and enthusiasm for that for the mission. That's a key part of the culture. I think the other things are values. So we've got these five values um, that are sort of signposts that guide how we work, regardless of what team we're on or office you're in. And um, so they're things like be open and build social value, move fast, etc. But be open, I think, was the one that most surprised me uh, and very you know very well could uh, other other joiners um by that i mean i was really taken aback at how transparent and open both mark and cheryl and all the leadership are um they're they're very vulnerable around you know what mistakes they've made what lessons they've learned from that how you know how they think about that moving forward it's very much a sort of a debrief culture so recognizing you will make mistakes but taking some time after the fact to think back what what was planned, what actually happened and what went wrong and why and what have we learned from it and how how and when we apply that lesson learned in the future. And I hadn't been as accustomed to as much open discussion around that at, uh, at a previous company. So that was really refreshing. That's really great. I think something like that is very important that allows uh, employees um, to be more willing to step up mm-hmm. if they don't have to feel, fear the ramifications of a potential failure. Absolutely. Since the pandemic, Facebook permits staff to work from home. How do you anticipate this change will affect the culture of the firm? And what can you say from it over the last six months? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, that six months, wow. Um, it, it feels like a lot longer on one hand. Um, look, I think, I think the culture is going to continue to evolve. In fact, we've, we've onboarded 12,000, nearly 12,000 people since we went to work from home wow. back, in, back in March. These are people who most of those haven't been weren't in an office, haven't had a face-to-face with anyone. And so, you know, we have to be incredibly intentional about helping those new hires uh, develop networks and relationships. 
making sure they're getting feedback and the development opportunities that you'd otherwise get if you were, you know, in closer proximity to those that you're working with. But, you know, it, our culture is constantly evolving. You know, the, you're not going to hear this is the way we've always done it, uh, that that won't work here. <laughs> um, it's it's a culture of fast feedback and um, you, you sort of you've always know where you stand and we're, we're welcoming we're welcoming people from different walks of life and experiences to to come and make us better. Great. I thought a lot about the work from home movement and whether it will continue. So, you know, global pandemic notwithstanding, I personally prefer the office environment because it permits the serendipitous meeting, hearing the scuttlebutt, meeting someone at the coffee stand or in the elevator with whom you'd never cross paths on a regular basis. Do you think that would suffer in the work from home movement? I think that the technology has come such a long way that there are parts of this that are really advantageous. And if you think about the, the, um, you know, the video calls or meetings you're on, everyone, depending on what platform you're using, but everyone shares the same equal, whatever the two by two (laughs) square on the screen is. And you can more readily see who's trying to say something versus you know, we're always working cross-border anyway, uh, state, border or country, and oftentimes you're peering in from, you know, your your office into the congested office at headquarters or something else, and, you know, you it, it's difficult to get a word in. I think the, you know, how how uh, f- fair it is to and, and obvious it is when people are starting and trying to speak and getting a word in yeah. is actually a real, real advantage of everyone being in the same boat. Yes. And so even if we return or when, well, obviously we will return to offices, I think, I think we will start to see elements of the work from home sneak in to every day you know there's been talk at Facebook around limiting how many people are in the one room for instance obviously for health reasons but also the benefit of that is that they're not getting the biggest share of voice Um, so it's it, it will be interesting. The final question is one that we ask all of our podcast guests what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience even if it's something we've already talked about today? Look I think this is such a confidence game it's so it's actively working on building or rebuilding your confidence in the in, in this context um, and your resilience because it will likely take some time to uh, to build that up and and acknowledging that you may not get to hear yes every single time but but sort of committing to learning from doing debriefs like I mentioned before but personally reflecting on okay how did that go this went well this I could have done better I ooh, I need to know more about this who can I ask where's the expert I can tap into this yes. podcast feedback etc just this commitment to going easy on yourself and and knowing it's going to take a bit to build up your confidence but having a, an intentional plan to do that I think is is important that's really great I do agree about the importance of confidence because the level of confidence can even make the difference between someone making the decision to apply in the first place. So I think that's uh, excellent advice uh, for our audience. 
Miranda, thank you very much for joining us today. How can people find out more about Facebook's Return to Work program? Uh, thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. It's been a delight. Um, so facebook.com forward slash careers, and then if you um, type in return to work, you will be able to see all of our dedicated return to work programs. But otherwise, as I mentioned, um, by all means, you can look to apply for any of the positions that align to your areas of skill and interest. Great. Thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Cheryl McGee Wallace, Special Advisor to iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, please go to www.irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, or other social media. Thanks for joining us.